Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Today I have Lynn Marie Cherry, who is an engaging speaker and the author of Keep Walking, 40 Days to Hope and Freedom After Betrayal. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. So Lynn, you decided to share your betrayal story by writing a book. Why did you decide to write about your story? You know, it's the book you don't dream of writing when you're a little girl in sixth grade <laughs> thinking you'd like to write someday. Yeah. Uh, the book really was birthed out of my journey and the pain that I experienced. It was so difficult and so altering, but at the same time, I felt like I found a way through. I knew it was something that I had to share, and I knew early on in the journey that I would share my story, that my husband and I would both talk about it. So that's kind of how the book came to be. But just going back to our story, it's like the slowest, most drawn out discovery story you've ever heard. We were married in 1991 and I had a feeling like really early, like even on my honeymoon, something's not right. Something's not quite right. But at the same time, just thinking, oh, it's not a big deal. I really don't know what husbands are like. This is my first experience just just did the best I could to dismiss those feelings. In 1997, I was pregnant with our first son. It just happened to be the same year that our house was wired for this brand new, amazing thing called the internet mm. and the World Wide Web. Mm -hmm. And so that was just, I was a setup, you know, I was big and tired and commuting two hours and struggling with my body image. And then my husband was in the office at home, and I remember thinking, something's not right there. What's happening in there? But at the same time, just thinking, I don't care. I'm building a human. You know, I am tired. I am working. I'm commuting. Like, whatever he wants to do in there, I don't care. And told myself that for, oh, another three years or so. So sad. Kind of embarrassing to go through the slow discovery. Don't feel bad. Everyone goes through that denial, like push away your doubts kind of phase. That's totally yeah. normal. Welcome to the club. 
Oh man, that is my MO for sure, denial. It was my coping mechanism of choice for so long. So then in 2000, our second son was born and I remember being awake to feed him in the night and I noticed the light was on in the home office and I just thought, oh wow, my husband's awake too. And I walked right over and opened the door, but like instantly felt just this horrible flood of emotion, like shame and lust. And it felt so tangible. And I saw pornography on the computer screen. So now this thing that I think is not quite right is right in front of my eyes. But I shut the door and walked away and continued pretending and coping for another four years. I know. You didn't say anything about it? We did not talk about it. I think there was an awareness on his part that I had seen what happened. But my mom was in town. You know, I just had a baby. My mom's in town. She was sleeping on the sofa bed in the living room. And she was with us for another week. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't go there. Mm -hmm. And then, really, I didn't go there for another four years and just going through the motions and coping and existing and busy life with two little boys. It just kind of dragged on. Did you have a religious background or just a ethical background that you felt pornography was wrong in and of itself? Or was it just from the feeling that you got from observing him watching Mm -hmm. pornography that made you feel like, ugh? definitely the ethical spiritual upbringing was the first thing that made me feel uncomfortable about pornography. That feeling was like just sort of a confirmation of what I believed. I Mm -hmm. didn't think pornography was okay. I remember the first time I saw it in the sixth grade reading corner when someone flashed a magazine inside my book I was reading. I knew it wasn't right. I knew that it was degrading to women and that it wasn't at all the way women should be perceived. So what brought you out of this denial after four years of not talking about it? Well, I like to say I got a gift. It wasn't in a pretty package with a matching bow, you know, but it was a gift to me. And that's a gift of anger. I ended up being a very angry woman, lived with this constant low level irritation and blow up over little stupid things really on the fringe with my boys and thinking like, I don't like who I'm becoming. This anger is scaring me. I was okay being sad and I was okay being lonely and I was okay being depressed, but the anger terrified me. It really was the catalyst that forced my hand and made me say, you know, I need help. I have to get help. Something has to change inside of me. I can't live like this. For our listeners, I want to know what brought you out of denial. At what point were you like, I need help? If you'll please go to btr.org backslash podcast. We want to hear your stories and your experiences, just like we're listening to Lynn today. So when did you realize that what you were experiencing was trauma? Right. Well, we would never use the word pornography addiction until we started therapy. I never used the word trauma until we started therapy. And so it really was 
the working through owning the reality of my life through counseling, where now suddenly coming out of denial, I began to feel the effects of that trauma. I had chest pain. I had insomnia. I had anxiety, especially at night. I would lay in bed at night, just feel like my heart is going to fly out of my chest and feeling so anxious about the reality of my life that I had denied and stuffed and coped with for so many years. So it was really traumatic to pull my proverbial ostrich head out of the sand. And it was a shock to my system. I remember um, learning about pretend normal in therapy and thinking, I like pretend normal. Mm -hmm. Can we go back and live there? Because dealing with what actually is happening in my life felt worse than pretending. It really did for a while. Yeah, I felt the same way. My most traumatic experience and the time I felt the most trauma was after my husband's arrest. So I lived with him being abusive for seven years, not feeling that much trauma because I was in denial or I was just not understanding what was happening or living that quote unquote pretend normal. And then after his arrest, it really hit me. And that's when the trauma Mm. waves just came and came. And it it was very intense for a long time. I was a little bit offended with God that this was my story. I didn't deserve it. I never asked for this to be in my story. And here I was. And how was that okay with him? So God and I were on the outs for a little while. I was on the outs with him. The bottom line for me is I didn't know where else to go. When I did begin to seek God for comfort and for help, he was faithful to bring it. And so my faith really helped me deal with the trauma as well. So knowing that women who are married to active pornography users also experience the related behaviors like lying, gaslighting, emotional abuse, sometimes narcissistic traits. What made you decide to stay in your marriage? I think there are a few different reasons. Some of them are good reasons and some of them are bad reasons. Just an example of a bad reason. I remember thinking like, if I stay, then at least I can keep an eye on him Mm. and I can sort of be there to protect my boys. That sort of became, if I stay, then I can make sure he's moving forward and my kids don't end up growing up with a pornography addict for a father because, you know, whether or not our marriage makes it, that was a big question. Mm -hmm. And neither one of us knew the answer to that. And we're an addict and a trauma victim trying to live together in the same house and both walk their own recovery journeys and then somehow consider the fact that there's a recovery also for the relationship. Like um, things were iffy, really iffy for a long time. I thought, well, if I stay, I can make sure he's really doing the work and he's moving forward and then that'll make him a better father for my boys. And so I'm staying like really to keep an eye on him. Not the best reason, of course, to stay in a marriage. Ultimately, a better reason was that I really began to see the fruit of change in his life. I watched him do the work of recovery. I saw the fruit of change in his life. I saw his behavior change. So ultimately, that's what weighed into that decision in a good way. Once he discovered the tools that he needed to break this pattern of behavior, 
And he picked them up and he began to use them. He realized there was hope for him and he could live a life without. Mm -hmm. In my experience, as I've witnessed men in recovery who really are in recovery and their behavior proves it, they are kind, they are gentle, they Mm -hmm. are empathetic, they are understanding. A man really, truly in recovery is awesome. There's such a difference between a porn user who is not in recovery and one who is. It's just night and day. I can see that. I think about the porn that my husband grew up with was mainly magazines Mm -hmm. and then VHS. I look at what women and men are having to deal with now where you have pornography in your pocket, live streaming, interactive video. I do think it's a completely different beast. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a lot harder to recover from what's happening in your brain with that kind of pornography. Mm -hmm. With really easy access to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also the types of pornography that they're viewing too, not just the access, but the content itself. I agree. Yeah. So knowing all of the women who are married to pornography addicts and struggle with the related behaviors, how can women find help in your book? One of the things I love is that it's a small bite-sized serving of hope. It really is a one to two page daily reading with one thought to carry you, a couple of things to take action on or to reflect on. I love that it's so manageable for women in trauma. I remember getting some books, like I have got to figure out what's happening in my life and ordering books. And you're like, how am I supposed to actually read this while I'm dealing with the mess in my life? My book is not about my marriage. It's really about moving forward. There is a way for every woman to move forward. It's not about whether or not your relationship is restored, but knowing that there is restoration for your soul. And peace, peace available. Yes, there is peace available. And regardless of what ends up happening in your marriage, there's a way for you to move forward. There's a life for you beyond Mm -hmm. this pain and trauma that you're dealing with right now. Absolutely. And I love that you said it's in little bite-sized pieces. I had the hardest time processing written information. And many of the women that come to BTR have that same problem too, which is why I decided to do a podcast both because of the stress that women experience. And so they don't have a ton of time. They can listen to a podcast while they're folding laundry or while they're doing the dishes or while they're waiting for their son at a soccer practice. Mm -hmm. Same thing with your book. Like you're making it accessible for women who have a hard time processing information. Exactly. In the middle of the trauma of owning the reality of my life, like I couldn't even read two pages. Right. I wanted to be able to give women something that they could chew and they could swallow and it would just carry them through one day, maybe help them take one step. And you just need something to hold on to. You know, however your story ends, there is hope for you. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. 
And until next week, stay safe out there.